That song sometimes touches me in other ways, differently than it does at other times, because it is, to me, a, a great reminder of what God has done. And no matter how long I've walked with the Lord, I'm always refreshed in hearing that song particularly. Um, for a lot of reasons, uh, my mind goes to about 15 years ago when I sat at a worship service at First Baptist Church in San Francisco, and uh, a girl about eight years old was singing that song, that this is my story. And I began to think about all of the life that I can remember God walking with me and rejoicing that this too is my story, that, that it's God, what God has done, and the way that He's brought me to Himself. And I know it's many of your stories as well, that God has been so good. And hearing that, that line too, and thinking about that valley of dry bones that the Old Testament describes, and that great vision of God taking these, these bones that are disconnected and coming and joining them back together and putting new flesh on them and new muscle on them and breathing His new life and going into dead places and bringing new life there. And still He does it today, coming into lives that, that are wandering from Him and decaying and dying and dead. And He still today comes and breathes new life. That's why one of the great enduring images of the Christian faith is, is the expression of being born again. It's the idea of God breathing new life into us. And so Jennifer and Steve and Grace, thank you. Um, what a great reminder. Um, that's for free. That's not part of our sermon today. But it all connects. I don't know how politically correct it is uh, to talk about this these days, but one of the shows I loved watching as a young boy was The Lone Ranger. And I loved everything about it. The old black and white TV show. And I, I, st I still love... Um, I, you know, I didn't know that William Till Overture actually was a song. I just thought it was the Lone Ranger song. And he would get up and he'd mount his steed and, I hold silver away! And you know, the horse would rear up and off they would go. And it always turned out really good and clear-cut sense of good and evil and, and all of that. I, I just loved it. And uh, a few years later, I was still a, a younger guy and there was a movie that came out about that story. And what I loved about the way the movie captured uh, the, the relationship between the Lone Ranger and Tonto was it showed them as boys and uh, there was a point where they were going to take their their relationship their friendship to a really significant level and they took a sharp knife and each of them cut their palm on purpose and you could see the blood starting to flow and then they touched their bloody hands together mixing their blood together and mixing their lives together and they were moving to a really deep sense of being blood brothers I just, I don't know, I love that image of being a blood brother, being so connected with somebody else that it's not like other relationships. And it, it matters and it's more significant for a lot of reasons. But it's on purpose. It's something that they chose to do, and it was a relationship the way the movie depicted it for the rest of their lives. And it was a relationship of mutuality and encouragement and support. And it was their sense of going into a, a deeper commitment with one another for a higher purpose because they knew they needed each other if they were going to manage uh, the craziness of the Wild West in that uh, fantasy story. You know, when the Bible talks about the relationship, the most enduring image it gives us is the word covenant. The idea of a covenant relationship is, is a very significant word in the Scripture. And 
Um, sometimes I don't think we're overly familiar with the concept of covenant anymore in our day. Uh, we, we're familiar with contracts, but a covenant and a contract, they're, they're really different, and they're significantly different in some ways. We need contracts in our day, uh, certainly for a lot of reasons, but a contract seeks, among other things, to articulate caveats and to articulate at times exclusions and to articulate limits to a relationship. A contract is something that's entered into between two or more parties, uh, but perhaps more importantly, it can establish triggers for incentives. If you're a salesperson, you know that you hit a certain sales goal and it triggers incentives that come to you, right? Uh, the uh, uh, football, uh, professional football draft just happened this weekend, and those contracts that will be written for those athletes will have triggers and incentives that if they do certain things of athletic performance, then certain financial rewards will be triggered for them. And uh, we, we know also that uh, there are thresholds that come to a point of breaking that relationship in a contract. If you do this, that's not specified in this particular way, then the contract, you're in breach of that contract. Contracts are good and they're necessary. We all know what contracts are. You've gone to buy, uh, maybe you're not a lawyer, but if you've ever purchased a car and you've borrowed money for it, you've entered into a contract with the bank and you know what a contract is. You, you've agreed to take this amount of money and you're going to pay back at this rate, uh, at this frequency, and uh, that's the contract and what happens if you break your contract. The car gets picked up by somebody who has a key and you're unexpected. There it goes. A covenant is different than a contract. A, a contract is important, but a covenant is kind of like the Lone Ranger and Tonto when they became blood brothers. It's moving to a deeper level of commitment for a higher purpose. And it's very significant and it's done on purpose. A covenant articulates, biblically it articulates a commitment between two or more parties that focuses on things like mutual sharing, Mutual support. And it's really the idea of giving your full self, where a contract at times can look to limit the relationship. A covenant is an invitation to opening and giving the fullness of who you are. And it's so wonderful. You know, covenant is all about what God has done because the covenant becomes such a significant biblical word because it's, it's the way God describes His relationship with you and me. And it's so good that He doesn't enter into a contract with us but He invites you and me into a covenant relationship. And covenants are all over the Bible. There's a covenant with Adam and Noah and Abraham. And the most significant one, perhaps, is the covenant that God gave at Mount Sinai and the Ten Commandments. And, and it's entering into a relationship, not just rules to be followed, but it's detailing out what this relationship ought to involve and include and what are the mutual responsibilities. Covenant is about being committed. It's about commitment. It's about commitment to God. It, and in the church, it becomes commitment also to one another. And it's very significant in the idea of being committed. As we start this new series, we're just introducing it today. And we're going to be spending many, many weeks looking together at our church covenant and uh, looking at why we have a covenant and why it matters and uh, what, what meaning does it have for us. And I hope that at the end of our time that uh, you, maybe you'll be reminded or perhaps hear for the very first time just how important in a church relationship that our commitment to God and our commitment to one another, why those things really matter. Because they matter to God. 
And he's given us this idea of covenant to help us understand that. Uh, Back in in the Old Testament, the, the Ten Commandments are given in two different places, Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. And uh, it's so interesting, in Exodus 19, right before the Ten Commandments are first given um, in that, that book, the, the word describing God's relationship with the people really are relational. He describes the people as His treasured possession. He describes His people as a, uh, what He hopes that they will develop into a kingdom of priests and, and that they will be people that will learn to walk and keep the covenant that, that He Himself, God, is establishing with them. This great relationship that He's calling people into. In uh, Deuteronomy 5.33, right after that book shares the giving of the Ten Commandments, here's what it says. It says, Walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live and prosper and prolong your days in the land that you will possess. Now, when we think about the Ten Commandments, I can't help. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a product of my culture. I, I still see, in fact, uh, on, uh, was it Good Friday, Susan, when they still show the Ten Commandments movie on TV? Charlton Heston, you know, and all of its grandiosity. He, uh, if, you, if you trust Hollywood, the idea is that uh, Charlton Heston comes down Mount Sinai with a tablet under each arm, and, and on one t- tablet are five of the commandments, and on the other tablet are the other five, right? That's a nice breaking up and balancing act, right? And scholars aren't quite sure exactly, but many of them think that that's probably not the best way of understanding the two tablets and the ten words that were given. Because many would look at these and say there were two tablets for sure, but all ten commandments are on each tablet. And it's symbolizing the idea that God is establishing a covenant with His people, not just with a person, but it's a covenant with a promise. But now He's drawing the people together and He's saying, one of these tablets with all Ten Commandments is going to go into my safe deposit box, God says, so that I can remember my covenant. It's a picture, right? It's a symbol. The other tablet, guess who that's for? The people. I mean, that's kind of the idea. There's a reason that both commandments go into the Ark of the Covenant, the tablets. And uh, it's a picture that God is keeping a copy and we are keeping a copy to be reminded mutually of our responsibility and the joy of our relationship with God together. Grace uh, helped us already think about when Jesus was asked. uh, The whole... Here's what's great about the, the covenant, too. Well, we'll get there in a minute. Uh, Jesus is asked one day. He, uh, he's debating with some religious people of the day, and somebody walks up to him and they say, Hey, Jesus, what's most important out of everything that's been taught? We've got this whole Hebrew set of Scripture here. Out of all of that, what is the most important thing that we are to remember? And he boils it down into two big ideas that everything else flows out of. And he says, you're to, remember, we've already sung it, you're to love your God with all your... Heart, with all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Then he says, and the other is like it. You're to love your neighbor as yourself. So let's look at that in a minute. That's found in Matthew 22. And you can look at it if you want, Matthew 22, 34. Let's just take a minute and read it, shall we? Matthew 22, verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees... The Pharisees got together, and one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? 
Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And this is the first and greatest commandment. There are other places he would add strength as well. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So if you want a summary of what is most important to God and that will take you from as a springboard into all the things God would have for you, this is the beginning point. It's often called the great commandment. Loving God and learning to love one another. Loving God and loving one another. The Pharisees were so good at trying to test Jesus in these things. And when Jesus says, uh, the greatest commandment is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He's taking us back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And Deuteronomy 6 is the chapter right after God has given the Ten Commandments. It's a retelling of what has happened there. And they're standing, the people are standing there, they're gathered in the shadow of Mount Sinai. I mean, Mount Sinai was an amazing experience. We, we should do some time together around Exodus sometime. And just, uh, it, uh, whew, that would have been quite an experience. To have stood at Mount Sinai with the people when God was talking to Moses and establishing this covenant. And here they are now. The covenant's been given. They've been invited into this relationship. And, and as they're, they're beginning this relationship, Moses calls the community together. There's the adult communities there. The, the children are among them. And here's what he says. He says, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. They're to be upon your hearts. Now, if we don't pause there for a minute, it's easy for us to say, yeah, yeah. I can recite the Ten Commandments, I think. I can get maybe six or seven. So it's on my heart, right? But that's not what he's talking about. It's just a recitation of the Ten Commandments. What, what God is inviting us into, adults, is that, that these commandments are to be so impressed upon your life. They're to be etched into the fabric of your soul. They're to be part of what motivates and drives the, the, the choices that you make, the way you think about life, the way you view the world. These are the commandments that are be etched upon your hearts. I, when I left, uh, after my couple of years of coaching football, I left. And uh, as a gift, my, my team gave me a watch. And on the back of the watch, there's an inscription that uh, describes the years and um, the team and the city where we were. And, and it's great. I still have it. I mean, it would take me probably four lifetimes of wearing that watch to ever rub that etching away. Probably couldn't even do it in four lifetimes. Why? Because when you take something and you etch it, you're literally gouging it in and you're impressing it upon and, and you're making it permanent in them. This covenant, God says, to that gathered community, He says, these commandments I give you are to be etched upon your life. And as they're etched upon your life, now you're free to go and teach the younger ones among you. And the way you've lived your life is going to validate the things now that you're telling them with your voice. You're not telling them something you're not also doing. In fact, you're demonstrating with your life the life that God has for you. Jesus is hearkening back to that, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Then when He says, the other is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. He's helping us understand that a, a hugely significant part of our life is learning to love God. But then he says the others just like it, to learn to love other people. There, he's taking us back to Leviticus chapter 19. Now, Leviticus comes right on the heels of Exodus. Exodus, we know, is the great story of God uh, rescuing the people out of captivity. 
They've crossed the Red Sea. They've now been given the, the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. There's description about their religious life. Leviticus, how many... If I asked you, I'm not even going to ask you, if I asked you, how many of you read have read Leviticus as a devotional book? I bet very few hands would go up. <laughs> it's not an easy book to kind of read through and to appreciate in that way, but Leviticus is trying to articulate the religious practice of what it means if, if this early Jewish community now is in a relationship with God, this is how some of the, their religious life is supposed to unfold. And then it's describing the holy life and character that people are to be living. And so out of a list of many other things, Jesus pulls this statement out of there. And He says, you are to love your neighbor as yourself. So it's helping us understand what it is to love God and to love others. That it's not so much about our religious practices or our attendance at church or the size of our buildings or the amount of money that we have in a bank. That those aren't measures for a healthy, right church life. You know what better measures are? Is Are we being faithful in our commitment to God? Are we being faithful in our commitment to one another? Life with God is not a, a religious slot machine where you go over occasionally and you pull the lever and you hope something good tumbles out. I think that's how some of us in our world today sort of approach our religious practice that we'll occasionally come to prayer and we'll pull that lever and if nothing good comes out, well, gosh, what good is God? That's not the way we would approach. We would approach life with God as a covenant relationship, learning that we are to give our whole life in joy-filled commitment to Him. Because He is the God who continually renews the covenant even when we fail at it. So how is our love for God and one another expressed? Well, that's the reason for this series to come. To love God and to love one another. That's why this church has a covenant and we're going to spend some time looking at it because it really helps to articulate those two realities. To be in a committed relationship with God and to be in a blood-brother, blood-sister relationship with one another. That's on purpose. It's intentional. Because the church is not just a, intended to be a loose association of people that kind of in and out and whatever, that, that have no real sense of committed relationship to one another. That's, that's not what God intends for a church. I, that's not the way I read the Scripture anyway. That God intends a church for to be brothers and sisters bound together on purpose in covenanted relationship together. Now, covenants have been around for a long time in, in church use. In fact, when the if you like church history, I'm not going to bore you today if you don't, but uh, if you like church history, back in the 1600s when uh, there was a lot of things bubbling in England, particularly around the Church of England, and you had the Puritans emerging and, and other groups that were separating out of the Church of England, they were doing that on purpose. It wasn't just a protest of what was going on. It was a, a statement of saying, we are individual adult people and we're going to on purpose gather together and so we're going to create covenants together that help give shape and language to what we are intending to do to express our committed relationship to God and that we are committed together. That it's not something we're born into. It's not something because we're part of a, a citizen of a particular country. That's not why we claim the name Christian. It's that God has claimed us and that we, on purpose, give expression to that and give intention of our desire 
to help and support and be in this relationship together. Why do you give yourself to anything at all? Why would you ever commit yourself to anything? We, we live in a day, right, where commitment is hard to come by. <laughs> Have you ever noticed that? That commitment is, is really challenging in our, our current culture. Um, even committing to, to agree to, to come to a particular event. Um, so often we're waiting for, well, what if something better comes along? <laughs> if I already commit to this, then there, I might miss something better. Committing your life to Jesus is about committing yourself to something that matters. Right? It's about giving your whole life in covenant relationship. God has given Himself to you, and He invites you now to give yourself back to Him because it is about things that matter. It's about personal integrity. If you're a student, it's about the way you approach your academic life. Uh, for all of us, it's about our sexual expression. It's about our marriedness. It's about our singleness. It's about the way we use our words. It's about the things we love. It's about what we do with our time and our money and the opportunities God provides. It's about things that really, really matter. That's what a commitment to Jesus is in a covenant relationship. It's a covenant relationship with God is about a commitment of your whole life for your whole life that no matter when you start, it's for the rest of your life until you take your final breath. There, there are no breaks. There are no seasons where you, you back away. You, you continue on and you press forward and you press ahead whether you start as a, as a child or a, a youth or a young adult or if you're in middle adult ages or even in the sage season of post-working years. It's all of your life. So commitment to Jesus is about committed to things that matter, and it's about a commitment for your whole life, and it's also about commitment for your forever life. If we were to say today, if I had a large piece of paper and I were to say this circle, I drew a big dot right here, it said this represents all of the years of your life. Every day that you will draw breath, this dot represents that. And then if I were to draw a horizontal line this way to the end of that paper and put an arrow on it. It just continues on forever and ever. And if I told you that that line represented your forever life, your eternal life, and it's comparable by, by the amount of time it is, right? This is immeasurable. This is very finite. And if this is your life, God desires you to commit your whole life or all of your life to Him. And He is committed to you both here and then forever and ever. So it's a commitment that you make around things that matter. It's a commitment that you make for your whole life, and it's a commitment that you make about your forever life because it lasts. It's about things that matter and things that last. If we're to talk about church today, I would, I would say church is an identity. It is a shaping of identity that we are together with one another and with God is what makes the church. You'll notice in the covenant as we go through it in the weeks to come that you'll, you'll see a lot of we words in there, and that's on purpose because it's us together that share this covenant. It's not just me and my relationship with God. It's about more than that. It's about us also and our relating to God. Have you ever thought about church as a verb? That church is something of action, that it requires response. It's church is something that we do. It's, not, it's an active thing, not just a passive reality. So, with all that being said, Pull out a hymnal, would you? Would you join me in this? And there are going to be some days, uh, some Sundays to come when we'll read parts of this together. 
But just inside the, the opening flap, you'll see, I think we've got every hymnal now covered. If you don't, if, uh, if you find one that doesn't have it, if you could just maybe leave it on your, your pew and we'll pick it up and make sure it is. And there or should be another one in your pew that you could maybe share. We're not going to read the whole thing today. But I just want you to hear, I, I just want you with your eyes to follow along as I read. Next week when we do the Lord's Supper, we're going to share this together, we're going to say it together. But just with your eyes, follow along as I read our Tiburon Baptist Church covenant. Having as we trust been brought by divine grace to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and having been baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we do now in the presence of God, angels, and this assembly solemnly and joyfully covenant with one another that we will... And we're going to stop there. Because <laughs> we've got many weeks to come. And we're going to be taking and parsing different parts of this out. I want to look at that third expression there. It says that we do now, we, we together, it's a plural form. But we do now in the presence of who? God, God angels, and who? This assembly. this assembly. It's us together. That we solemnly, right, we're serious about it. Not something we're just kind of joking about. But we're also joyfully... So when we do something solemnly, can you also smile when you do it solemnly? Can you be serious and smile at the same time? Try it. Let's get serious. I want to, I want to see your serious face, okay? I want you to smile at the same time. I don't know why I'm ducking my head, but this feels, this feels serious to me. Maybe, I, maybe if I were an animal, I'd be a predator going after my prey. But there's a, a, a smiling seriousness about what we do. We do this solemnly, we do it joyfully, but we do it together because we are covenanting with one another. Okay, It's not just you and your circle around yourself and with God, but more than that, it's also us together with God. We do now in the presence of God, angels in this assembly, solemnly and joyfully covenant with one another that we will. So we'll come back to that in the weeks to come. Covenanting, loving God, and loving each other is God's desire for a faithful church life, a faithful church member and individual, and for the joy that God has in store for you. We're going to learn more about that in the weeks to come. Father, we thank You for this morning, for the opportunity to re be reminded of the great way that You've loved us and You've called us into relationship and this idea of covenant that You've given Yourself to us and You invite us to give our whole lives to You. And I'm sure this morning, some perhaps have had church experiences in the past where they've, they maybe have gotten burned by other people. And maybe they're a little gun-shy. They don't want to extend themselves again because they've been hurt. And we know that can happen. It's hard to allow ourselves to become vulnerable to other people. And we're right to protect ourselves when things have gone wrong in the past. And so God, I, I we are inviting you to, to break down these walls of, of hiding or that uh, want to make us prevent us or not allow us to move forward in our relating together and in deepening our love and relationship with You. So whatever today may be standing in our way, I, I invite You 
in the weeks to come that you, Holy Spirit, that you would reveal those things to our hearts and that we wouldn't ignore them, but that if we've had pain in our life, that we would present it to you and we would seek your healing again. And that perhaps little by little, we would learn to trust people again in a church community. Maybe we've never really known that before. It sounds pretty good. We'd like to open our lives and share them more deeply with someone else and others in the church. And so maybe we're not quite sure what that means. And so may these weeks to come fill us with some sense of, of purpose and vision and a, a sense of clarity of what those relationships should involve, can involve in this place. Maybe we've been part of this church for a long, long time. And gosh, we've never really thought perhaps about what it is to be in a deep and committed and abiding relationship both with you and with other people. So help us, we pray. We want to follow you as you would lead us. And we thank you that we, we enter into four or five hundred years of Christian brothers and sisters who have tried to live and articulate their relationship with you and with one another through covenants like this. So we ask that you might shape our fellowship through it. May it be your instrument. It's not your Bible, but it, it gives some helpful instruction and it's tethered to your Scripture. So guide us, we pray. We look forward to what you have for us so that we can deepen what it is to know and to live by loving you, God, and loving one another. It's in Jesus' name that we pray it all. And all of God's people said, Amen. We've got one last song that we're going to sing together. It's uh, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Would you find your music sheet? And we're going to make it a prayerful response back to God. Won't you stand and together let's sing.